Katie. Ben. You're in the same room as me. In the flesh. It's kind of weird. For the first time in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome. Thank you. We are uh, in a conference room at Facebook, mm-hmm. which is where I work. Um, there are not as many sirens. <laughs> there was somebody who said something about that on Twitter, about how uh, listening to the podcast in the car, you have to be a little bit careful because you hear sirens. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what to tell you. Do you live right by a fire station? or like... No, I just live in downtown Chicago, and I guess... Well, I live a few blocks from a fire station. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, how's it going? It's great. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Um, and how's the conference? You came here for a conference, right? I did. It was really good. Uh, it's all wrapped up now, but got to meet some people. Uh, I met, actually, this is kind of funny, in the speaker's lounge, I met one of the other data science podcasters. No. Yeah. Who? Uh, his name is Joel Groose, and he does the adversarial learning podcast. I knew nice. I recognized the name for somewhere, but uh, but I kind of looked over and I was talking about the podcast with somebody else, and he was like, "Oh, well, you know, I do podcasts too." And I was like, "That's where I know you from." Anyway, <laughs> super nice guy. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a small group. Yes, and I I I fear I may be the only non data scientist in the group. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard for me to keep tabs anymore on yeah what all the podcasts are. I bet that's not true. Yeah, there's probably another person like me. You're an honorary data scientist. Oh, thank you. Um, It's all the puns, and I'm sorry I don't have one for you today. Um, But we are going to talk about Kaggle. Well, sort of. We're going to talk about a survey that Kaggle did of all the data scientists that they got to answer their survey. And so it's actually much more about what data scientists are reporting about what's going on in their work and in the field right now. All right, uh, you are listening to Linear Digressions. So, what does Kaggle say about data scientists? This oh, is a this is a survey that they yeah. Put out. So they say a lot of things. So we'll kind of go through the survey piece by piece, but as a little bit of front matter to get everyone framed. So, for those of you who don't know about Kaggle already, it's a machine learning competition <laughs> website, very popular. So the idea is that they have data sets and then questions that they want to have answered with those data sets and there's usually prize money and fame and fortune for if you build the best model um, and so uh, a lot of data scientists and aspiring machine learning experts and that kind of thing go on to Kaggle as a chance to kind of get some experience and uh, mm-hmm. try your hand at some stuff so Kaggle decided to ask all their users to take a survey about just what you know, who they are and what they're working on and this kind of thing. And they got back 16,000 responses. Wow. That's a lot of people. It is a ton. That's from all across the world. So not necessarily just in the United States. Um, And of course, as, as far as I'm aware, people self-selected into taking this survey. Sure. Yeah. Um, So So all of the data is grain of salt kind of. Yeah. You know, there could, there could well be some um, selection biases in here, let's say of certain types of people who answer surveys also have, particular types of answers that they give to the survey questions. So I would say don't uh, don't make gigantic, you know, life or death decisions on the basis of this data. But but it just shows some, <laughs> some pretty clear trends. And, like, that's actually a really big survey to have fielded, uh, 16,000 people. So um, there's some good stuff in there. And moreover, they've made an anonymized version of this data set available to people to look at. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... There's potentially lots and lots of different ways that you can slice and dice this data to ask it different questions and 
condition on certain outcomes and ask how other outcomes change or whatever. So we're just going to go through some of the, the top lines, so to speak. But if you're really interested in playing with the data and digesting this more, we'll have some links on LinearDigressions.com to uh, the places where you can go to poke around on your own. Awesome. So the first question, just starting with your standard uh, demographics, is how old people are. And so it turns out data science tends to skew pretty young, or the, mm -hmm. the respondents to this survey. So uh, many people are in their 20s. The median is 30, so half of the respondents are under 30, half are over 30. And then there's a long tail that goes all the way out to, well, I'm a little bit suspicious that there are, there seems to be a, uh, a, a few bunch respondents of, out at 100. 100, 100 years old, huh? That I'm skeptical about. There's also a few at the age of zero, so, you know, mm. data. Learning fast. Sure. But there's, you know, <laughs> uh, but there's, uh, you know, kind of this long tail that goes out to like, you know, 60, 60 plus or so. But the bulk of the distribution is quite young. Um, but they do say that this is pretty dependent upon the country that you're looking at. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah, so it says that if you, if you cut it by country, then the average respondent from India was about nine years younger than the average respondent from Australia. Which is, that's kind of interesting to see. It's kind of fun. Also, you can click around this too. So this, the oh. one we're looking at right now is for all genders. This is not just a normal blog post. This is one with buttons that yeah, actually change things. Yeah. And so, for example, it looks like the women skew a little bit younger than the male respondents. Uh, the median for women is 28 instead of 30, for example. So these are some fun things that you can go in and tick on and off. Also, about five times the number of men took the study than women, if you look at the axes. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they say that there's 2,714 well, responses for women, 2,700 versus for male, it was 13,000. So, yeah, about 80% male. And then they also have um, other for gender, which was 223 responses. So this is not quite as... Uh, well fleshed out of a distribution mm -hmm. as the other ones, obviously. Um, but yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot more people uh, of other gender at a hundred and zero uh, for age. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I have no explanation for that in particular, but well, trolls. That's possible. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's a little bit of just your demographics, your and that's just the first one. Age so. and gender. Uh, yeah, and then the folks that they were that they surveyed, they also asked some questions about their employment status. Um, and so uh, almost two-thirds of the people say they're employed full-time, not necessarily that they're working as data scientists, although you can do things like filter for people who identify themselves as data scientists, and then 80, almost 86% of them say they're employed full-time. And then data scientists make up the largest portion of the respondents, so about 25% of their respondents overall self-identified data scientist, and then that's followed by software developer, data analyst, scientist slash researcher, and then we start to get into, again, kind of a long tail. Interesting. So you see a lot of software developers and a lot of uh, researchers using Kaggle either uh, maybe to kind of level up or to work on problems that are specific to their field. Yeah, I think Kaggle is one of the good ways to get some quasi-professional experience, especially if you're a student, for example, or you're trying to enter the field of data science machine learning, one of the ways that you can prove that you're the real deal is by going into Kaggle competitions and doing well at them. 
Yeah, because then you can say, look at this thing. Look at this specific problem. I I tackled it. I did a really good job on it. Yep. As yep. opposed to, oh, I did blah, blah, blah for this company, but that's not necessarily easy to, to check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kaggle is all, you know, the, the results are public and, and you can make your code public. It doesn't have any um, mm-hmm. restrictions around people sharing code and that kind of thing. So it is a nice place, kind of a an open gymnasium for people to play around with this stuff out in the open. And also, this is, I think, will be of interest to many people. Um, there are probably some data quality problems with this question, uh, but they asked also people about their full-time annual salary. Um, so what, how much self-reported income do people have? And this one is one that's uh, pretty dependent, in particular upon the country. So the median, I was a little bit surprised at how low the median was, this reported for the entire um for the entire survey. Now, keep in mind, there's only 3,000, not not even 3,800 responses to this. So a lot of people are declining to give their salary. Mm-hmm. And a lot sense. of people are saying zero, which yeah. is not exactly in the spirit of what the question is asking. Yeah. If you don't have a full-time salary, then you probably shouldn't respond to the question. Um, and that was uh, what I meant a little bit when I said that I think there's maybe some data quality issues here. Mm-hmm. But that having been said, the median here, I was a little bit surprised at how low it was. It was about $55,000. But then when I drilled down into the data a little bit and I set the country to the United States, which is where I live, of course, then it's telling a much different story. The median in the United States is twice the national or the international median. Mm. The median in the U.S. is 110K. Although as I'm clicking back and forth between gender here, I'm noticing that males, for men, it's 113 and for women in the United States, it's 91. So there's still some... Mm. Uh, it's not only country-dependent, but it's pretty heavily gender-dependent. But in general, if you're working as a data scientist in the United States, you're probably making pretty decent money. So they have a bunch of questions uh, after that about education and about uh, what tools you might use at work and, and the types of algorithms that you tend to use as well. But scrolling down even a bit further, there, there are some other really interesting things that we want to cover. Uh one is they talk about how it's code shared at work, and yeah. over half say Git specifically. Which doesn't surprise me at all, to be totally honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, as I'm looking at this, it's clear that it's not. Uh, some of these questions, you know, there's more than one answer that people are giving. Um, so it's Git, but then there's also um, non-cloud file sharing or cloud file sharing, and then a few other versions of version control. So version control is something that people are using, version control like software. Yeah is uh, what people are using to, by and large, share their code with each other. But also looking at the specific uh, version control softwares that are listed there, Git, Subversion, and Mercurial, and then there's also others, so who knows what's in there. But yeah, Git is 58% of the responses, Subversion is 10%, and Mercurial is 1.6%. So Git definitely is the winner here. I was going to say, it's it's mostly just Git. (laughs) Um, But then I think... There's some even some more interesting questions. So this next one is what barriers are faced at work? So what are the things that make data science hard or maybe frustrate people the most? So let's walk through this. The top one with about 50% of respondents is dirty data. Yes. That sound I honestly I'm surprised it's that's it's that low. Only 50%. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I mean, isn't that kind of one of the biggest problems you face when you're working with data is that the data sometimes just isn't as good as you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot on where your data comes from. If you have to go collect it yourself, then that's something you can spend a tremendous amount of time on. 
But I think also, especially bigger organizations are starting to now have dedicated teams and tools and processes in place that help automate as much of that as possible. Um, so maybe that's, maybe what's happening is that data scientists then are benefiting from those investments and dirty data is still a big problem, but uh, not as big of a problem as maybe I would have guessed. Hmm. Um, the next one I think is kind of interesting with 42% of respondents, 41.6% reporting that a lack of data science talent is something that's challenging. Hmm. So from a recruiting standpoint or from a, my coworkers aren't as helpful as I want them to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I've been on, uh, I've been part of big hiring pushes before and it's, it's really easy to pour lots and lots of effort into trying to find really good talent. It's challenging and it's incredibly important. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, that one I can, I can sympathize with. Yeah. And also if you're searching for, if you're searching for a role that is more niche or in a field that's newer, um, it can be even more frustrating than usual because your pool is just so much smaller and it's sometimes difficult to figure out who is even in your pool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to define sometimes exactly what it is that you're looking for. Um, and then there's a few that I might, I might group cause I think they're kind of related. Lack of management slash financial support is the next highest pain point at uh, about 37%. And then there's also results not used by decision makers uh, mm. and explaining data science to others. And I think that these are all, and then I get I, maybe near the bottom of the list for this is expectations of project impact and integrating findings into decision, which I also think are related. So this is a general idea that uh, sometimes data science teams are doing really great work, but they struggle to get the organization to adopt better decisions as a result of input from data. And right, right. A lot is, of companies will say that they're data-driven, but not actually be data-driven. Yeah. Because it's, it's so much, it feels better as a human to be like, no, but I feel like it should be this. And then you decide based on that, even though you may say that you're data-driven. Yeah, the gut is very, it's very strong. Um, and, and I think it's also hard. It's not just about having people who are smart, who are doing data science sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about also making sure that there's processes in place that know to go seek out input from the data scientists in certain decisions and mm. that the data scientists then have the right kind of flexibility to help think about different hypotheticals or, um, make tools that make their results more like automated and reproducible or all these kinds of things. It's, it's not just about are the data science teams there and doing good work, but does the, does the rest of the organization have the right people, the right processes, mm-hmm. the right tools to actually integrate their work into decision making? Yeah. And, and does the rest of the company understand who you are and what you do exactly, or the value that you can bring. Because if, if everybody does, then yeah, certainly people will use you as a resource and that's great. Um, but if there is that misunderstanding or lack of understanding, then, uh, you know, you're just, you're left out of key, uh, key conversations. Yeah. And that shows up in one of the other responses that we have here too, that 22% of data scientists report that explaining data science to others mm-hmm. is something that's really challenging. Yeah, and just because you are in a field doesn't necessarily mean that you're either good at or enjoy teaching it to others. Like yes. that is, as someone who focused primarily as on education, it's a very different skill that you don't really, like there are not many opportunities to develop that skill unless you enjoy developing that skill. 
That's right. Yeah. So in general, I think that, you know, data scientists seem to be, they seem to be well compensated in the United States. They're getting to work on lots of interesting problems. They have good tools to work with in general, I think. But there's still some real pain points here. So there's also a section on here, which I thought was really nice, about if you are new to data science and you want to have some guidance or you're experienced in data science and you're potentially moving around thinking about career progression, what are some of the things you should be thinking about? So the first question was, if you are a new data scientist, what language should you learn first? And I am so uninterested in relitigating the language wars of Python versus R, but this survey does seem to have a strong answer. It says Python. It says Python. So not many pirates took this survey. <laughs> That's right. I really can't not make a joke about R every time we talk about it. I'm sorry, everyone. I, are you sorry? R. No, I'm, I'm not. Um, <laughs> um, but Python, yeah, is, is far and away the first choice that people seem to be reporting here. 63%. The next closest is R with 24%. So if you that's are, significant, uh, yeah, no, this is this is a big deal. If it was like you know forty five, fifty five, then it might not even be worth mentioning because yeah. you know people are going to email us. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, sure, flip a coin. It doesn't mean that if you know R, that's a bad investment or anything. Yeah, definitely not. I think I think the main point here is what's the first one that you learn and then mm. understand it, be able to build some stuff in it, and then branch out to other ones. And the consensus seems to be that Python is the one to start with. Um, Again, I think you can make good cases either way, but the data says what the data says. Um, and then also, how are you learning? So uh, maybe it's no surprise that uh, there's a bunch of different ways that people learn data science. So they can participate in Kaggle competitions, they can take online courses, they can read YouTube videos, use Stack Overflow, personal projects, blogs, uh, podcasts. 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 There it is. Um, but anyway, they looked at people who were employed in the field and people who are entering the field. So two slightly different um, populations and asked them the same series of questions about what tool you're using to learn. Oh, interesting. So so we're kind of comparing the people who are uh, entering the field and what, what they're doing to learn versus people who are in the field already and what they're doing, what they're using in their, in their work. Yeah. So one thing about this question is both employed in field and entering field, their number one response is Kaggle, which is maybe not surprising for a survey that went out to Kaggle users. <laughs> I'm not sure if I think this would generalize the entire population, but right, right. it is what it is. Um, and then, I don't know, a few interesting differences uh, people who are employed in the field use Stack Overflow somewhat more than people who are entering the field. This sounds about right to me. Uh, people who are entering the field use U YouTube videos more than people who are already employed. Um, Podcasts uh, are 16th for people who are entering the field and 13th for people who are in the field. So that's cool. Sure. Yeah. People find them even more useful as, I was just as they go. to see it on the list, honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there's this list has... 19 different things on it. So obviously we won't go through all of them, but it's kind of interesting to look at how all these things stack up against each other. They talk a little bit about how people actually find data because this can be challenging. Mm -hmm. um, again, the most commonly reported way of finding data is data set aggregator, which includes stuff like Kaggle. So because this is sent out to Kaggle survey respondents, I'm not sure if uh, that's the true number one, but I can't say what else it would be. And then the last question that they have top lines for in this report is how do you look for or find work? 
And this one's also split up by people who are entering the field versus employed in the field. Yeah, and you can see some pretty clear trends here. Like when people are entering the field, they look for places like the company website, the uh, tech job board, a general job board. Mm -hmm. So these are places where there's job postings that get aggregated. But people who are employed in the field list recruiters, friends, and family, and then general job board. And actually looking at this, they have... Um, People employed in the field on the left and people are entering the field on the right and they're putting lines between the, um, the two uh, matching things from left to right, left to right, left to right. And it almost looks kind of like a star. Like the things that are top for people who are entering the field are down near the bottom for people who are employed in the field and vice versa. Yeah, so what this means is that in general, the way you find your first job is going to be different from the way that you find your second, third, fourth job. Your first job is going to be stuff like looking at the website, going to your college career fair, uh, looking at uh, job postings. But once you actually get into the field, there's recruiters who reach out to you and you know try to help you figure out what your next role might be, try to hook you up with companies that are looking for people. As we said before, finding good talent is a thing that people report as being really challenging. Um, and then also networking. So that's what I interpret family, friend, and colleague to be, is you get to know people and maybe they go on to new companies and eventually they help you find another job or whatever. So for those of you who are maybe starting out in data science and machine learning and are a little bit discouraged by the job hunt, I know it can be feel very intimidating and challenging. Um, hopefully you take a little bit of heart from this that in general it does get easier as you get to know people and you get some work experience under your belt. Your second job in general is much easier to find. Well, that's not really what this data is saying exactly. This is just my experience speaking a little bit, but your second job you find in a different way than you found mm. your first one. And your second job is usually easier to find. It's just then you have to decide if you want to take it or not. But, right, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's all of the top lines from the survey. But there are more if you want if you go on the website. Yes. So if you go on the website, you can tick on and off all the different conditionals on these things, like say what country you want to be looking at, uh, for example. And somewhat more interestingly, at least to me, is you can download the survey data and then you can do even more interesting stuff with this. So you could try clustering on it. You could try making some uh, predictors out of it. You could try making some um, classifiers or regression problems out of this, see if there's any particular patterns that emerge about, say, particular language skills and salary or like what have you. So that's one of the things that's kind of nice about this is that just because they've done all these aggregates, that doesn't mean that's where the conversation ends. That's just kind of the beginning. So once again, we will have links on lineardigressions.com to all the places where you can get that information and you can check it out on your own as well. Awesome. You know, this is the first time in a year and a half that we've been able to sit at the same table, record a podcast, and look at the same screen. That has been really nice, hasn't it? Yeah, and so, that's been really nice. And I'll say, one of the things that's hard about doing this podcast is I think it's best when we're, when it's not a monologue. Yeah. It's not, like, our best stuff isn't when I'm talking for three minutes or you're talking for four minutes and when we're bouncing back and forth. Yeah. That is much harder to do when you don't have... When you're not in the same room as a person, because you have to guess about, like, yeah, you can't read body language. Yeah, there's a little stuff. overhead. Like, you need to kind of have a little timer when you start talking, start in your head. And then when that timer gets to about, you know, 45, 50 seconds, you're like, okay, maybe I should pause. Just see if someone else wants to talk. 
And it's, it's something that, um, as I, 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 I've done a lot of radio and podcasting before we started this. Um, and eventually you get it into your body, you know, your, your brain just automatically starts that timer. But, um, but it is some overhead and you don't have that overhead when you're sitting across the table from someone. It's kind of nice. Yeah. And you can also just scroll down and you point out and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. And then the other person just, Hey, you should read that. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So this has been really fun. This is delightful. Awesome. So are you going to move back to California? Absolutely not. <laughs> the weather's better. Uh, We're going into sort winter. Of, sort of. I don't know. I like winter. Okay. I hate winter. Well, then you should stay in California, Mr. San Diego. It's too cold in California. <laughs> I grew up in San Diego. What do you want from me? Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.